This is Cliff Dogs Podcasts, where Dr. Cliff Harvey chats with cool people doing interesting things in performance, business, health, and the creative arts. Fucking awesome! That was a shock. You used to be such a. You used to be so clean cut. I know, man, and I've I've embraced the curl. You know, I'm I'm doing the full um, curly girl method now. I love it. I don't know what curly girl method is, but it's it's well, working. Uh, let, let me tell you. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> well, like many people, I've suffered with dry frizzy hair. <laughs> <laughs> That I always used to have this, I think it was like a control thing, you know, I didn't like having hair because it was like it would get out of control and I was worried that people, I don't know, it's stupid, you know, you're worried that people would judge you and whatever. Mm. So I always used to keep like, you know, short back and sides and shit like that. And um, then I figured, fuck it, I'm going to just let my hair grow, <laughs> yeah, my yeah. grow and and um, appreciate the curl and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, um, I'm not there yet. I've gotten actually very curly hair. But uh, I never wear it. I've always like filled it with um, pomade and slicked it way, way down. But, uh, but it, it works for you, bro. Do you think so? Well, I've you've got a... got a particular look. Yeah, I think. Just, I'm just, just as I've cultivated a particular look. I'm just turning this microphone down because I'm peeking out. There we go. Um, I yeah, I always thought that it was cool to have straight hair. I think sometimes I wonder about that because. Um, like no, me, get, me too. Where do we get these ideas from? You know what I mean? Like, I was always like super self-conscious of having curly, wavy hair. I, I think that was our generation. I don't know how we as dudes got caught up in that, but I think it was a thing, you know? If you had straight hair, it was kind of cool, and that's one of the reasons I used to cut all my hair off because, I mean, it doesn't look that curly now, but it's really curly underneath. Mm-mm-mm. And when it dries, because it's weird as well, when it dries, it kind of goes like a, um, dare I say it, Jufro. I know that's probably not a PC term to use. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that because I've been, <laughs> I've been cancelled. I don't want that to happen again. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. But um, yeah, dude, I, I wanted to talk to you a lot about the the sort of path I, I guess you've been on the last couple of years. And I'll preface this because obviously people know that we've chatted before on the podcast and we've um, obviously got into some discussions online and stuff like that in the past. Mm. Um, but you've always kind of been the the, the liberal I love, right? You're you're the <laughs> The dude who is well, you, you're actually doing things, right? You're you're an activist, but you're actually active in that activism, whether it be for reducing alcohol and drug harm or reducing violence against women, uh, racial equity, all those sorts of issues. You know, you're you're very prominent in that space, um, and, and I would have probably considered you, and no disrespect is meant here, as one of my most woke friends, right? But I know recently you've been sort of pushing back a little bit against the the hyper-liberal woke crowd. Um, and I was wondering what, what started that shift, because I know we've had some discussions over the last past, past couple of years about a, a few different issues. So I wonder what sort of kick-started that for you and how that came about. Yeah, the, the behavior of far-left people online is horrific. And I don't want to be part of that, <laughs> essentially. I don't like thinking that people are bad people because they've got bad ideas. I don't think judgment, shame, social exclusion and uh, whisper campaigns to defame people are positive ways of making social change. I don't think calling everyone you disagree with a racist or a homophobe uh, is a particularly effective way of bringing them into the conversation. I just genuinely despise the way that online discourse within intra-leftist spaces has evolved. And I don't want to be part of it because I work offline with men and women and boys and girls who don't give a fuck about your academic ideas about how to make things better. And if you talk to them like that, they would do more than Will Smith you. That yeah. you, the the way I see like far left people talking haughtily amongst one another on Twitter is just gross and, and yeah it just really made me want to disavow myself from that movement 
in part because that's been directed towards me in in, in, in like the, you know they've always been the saying the left will eat itself right but that's become yeah. like a it's become like a pogrom of wrong thing now it's become like a a witch hunt of who who's not quite on board with the ultra progressive project there's no room for deviance or critical thought or questioning it's you're all or nothing and and within that it's not just your ideas are good or bad you're a good person and you're a bad person and that's yeah. just not reflective of reality all people are full of paradoxes and contradicting contradictions and we have our hypocrisies and, and 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 sometimes good people do bad things and bad people do good things and yet online leftist spaces have just flattened people out into these 2d characters character i struggle with this word caricature caricature how, how do you help me out here bro caricatures thank you very much and it's just yuck moreover i don't agree with a lot of the critical theory-based postmodernist takes on social issues i don't think that a lot of what people term woke politics are actually the right fulcrum for analysis or they're not the only fulcrum for analysis they're actually multiple in intersecting causatives for a lot of the the very real social inequities that we do need to address and yet if you if you even say that in certain spaces you're you're tarred and feathered and cast out from polite society and yeah it just I, I really feel, as you can probably tell by my tone of voice, really strongly about it. And I've gone on, a, I guess I've gone on a very explicit journey to understand, to some degree, A, some of the broader concepts behind this way of thinking, and B, the, the process of social shaming and cancel culture, and what even is that? You know what I mean? I think we have yeah. such broad ideas about what cancel culture is and isn't. And, and I'm not. I don't think like mainstream sort of public discourse really understands just how insidious and ugly it is. Yeah, and I mean it's it's basically an indefensible argument, right? Like I, I think we've talked about it before. I, I mentioned in a chat we had offline a, a little while back that I had kind of been cancelled by some Romani activists because I was a moderator in a. A Romani group uh, there was some bullying going on so I just deleted some comments I thought I was doing the right thing but that was then cast as I was a misogynist because the comments I deleted were by a woman um, obviously because I lift weights I'm a big aggressive bro culture and they, they sort of created this caricature of me online and you can't then come back and say actually in the moment you know, gender didn't didn't come into it. I was just trying to moderate. Now, I don't know if implicitly gender came into it or not. I mean, that's, you know, if there's implicit bias there, I get all the nuances of it. I get that we have privilege advantage, all that kind of stuff. But it seems like a very blunt instrument to use. And again, it's indefensible, right? You can't then defend yourself against a criticism in which you are cast as racist, homophobic, misogynistic, whatever it happens to be. Mm. It becomes just this struggle session where you're meant to just sit down and listen to all the things that are wrong with you and your belief system and, and nod along politely because... I, I when, love to take a seat. Yeah. Take a seat, bro. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just... it's I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there are... Um, we do live... In, there is racism in society and sexism in society and, 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 and homophobia in society, right? Like, Absolutely. those things are very real. But to discount someone's ideas based on, on things that they can't change about themselves, namely their, their sex um, and their age and their skin color, I think is very, very reductionist, you know? I think, and that's what I've found on this last couple of years journey. I've found so many voices from people from marginalized identities, like gay, gay voices or trans voices or black voices or immigrant voices who just don't agree with a lot of what comes out of the far left. And it was, it was a real eye-opener for me to go, oh yeah, like it should have been obvious, but I was so immersed in like online leftist thinking and leftist culture that I forgot to think that there's so much divergence of thought and belief within all, all like identity groups, right? Yeah. So I've, I've been reading and listening to like 
like uh, I don't know, like trans influencers who don't walk lockstep with like the online trans community or uh, black conservatives or, mm. you know, gay conservatives or um, I guess I find myself I did an online test yesterday. You know those like online political compass things. Yeah. Like I, I'm still like a real liberal. Like I'm still like towards the far left. Yeah. But I, but I'm also really open to I guess heterodox positions as well. You know, like I can see multiple viewpoints far better than I could. And as much as that makes me unpopular with like young green activists on Twitter, people like, who would have been a large part of your demographic. Yeah, back in the day, like, I, I, it has actually made me a better person because I'm not a judgmental asshole anymore. When in fact, yeah. I kind of used to be. I used to jump to, you think this, or you did this, or you vote this way, bad person in my, in my, like, in my 20s and early 30s. And I thought it came from a good place of wanting to address the very real wrongs in our society. But what I've learned is that that doesn't actually really achieve much. All it does is, yeah. is, is, is push people away from a conversation, right? And now we're seeing, and I've been saying this for some time now, and now we're starting to see like hyperpolarization, right? Yeah. You know, like you deplatform people from mainstream social media platforms. They go to, te they go to Telegram or they go to, they used to go to 8chan or 4chan or they find people who, aren't going to yell at them and who are in fact going to like endorse their views however ugly those views are or racist or misogynistic or actually hateful they are and get further radicalized right and then on the other end of that you you see this like <laughs> this like this kind of like online self-congratulatory circle jerk of people who are like yeah i'm the most i'm the most progressive and i've got the most outrageous idea about social justice and everyone's like yeah and it's just this self-congratulatory non-critical thinking march towards what i don't know but but it troubles me because we're starting to see fires outside in parliament or the capital riots or yeah family groups breaking up because one person's gone down one conservative rabbit hole and another person's gone down a, a super super ultra social justice rabbit hole when they don't have a shared reality anymore. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that there's so much, um, well, noise online. Some, some do. Yeah. Like it's okay. crazy, right? Because I think you and I would agree that it's, it's not a, a problem of the hyper liberal woke crowd. It's, it's a problem of extremism, extremism. Yeah. And whenever you have extremism, there is a, a narrative that must be adhered to. Otherwise you're by nature wrong. And, when you had that, there's there's no critical thinking and there's no room for discussion. But what is critical thinking without discussion? Like how do how do we move forward without exploring new ideas and being challenged within our own biases? Yeah, exactly, and, that, and that's it. And you, you know, like you go to like hyper political spaces like Twitter or whatever, and you can't do that. You can't ask questions anymore. From a steaming pile of dog shit. I know why I've, I I've, I've gone private on Twitter because I was just sick of getting hassled. You know, it was just like yeah. not worth my mental energy. It's gross, man. Like you can you can tell a woman that she needs to get murdered and killed and put in a hearse, like happened to J.K. Rowling the other day, and no one will ban you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it, it's it's horrific. Like and yet the far left crowd will applaud that sort of behavior, which is gross. Just as like women on Twitter do receive like far more sexist, misogynistic abuse, just based on like sexist assholes, um, horrific views of, of how to treat women as less than, which is also yeah. gross. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's like, what happened to like understanding that it's a human being on the other end of of those words that you're directing at them and you might disagree with the ideas but if those ideas are based in reason um you should be able to debate them on your 
on their merits or lack of merits but people don't do that anymore it's straight to ad hominem it's straight you know it's it's straight to like oh i'm gonna like email all the people this person knows and make them unfollow them because they're a bad person i'm gonna email business contacts of this person i'm gonna i'm gonna distort what this person said eight years ago and like remove it from the context in which it was presented and and exactly. and, and portray this horrific image of someone which is so far removed from um the the reality of it and and yet people think this is activism now and it's gross it's not it's actually like very it's very stalkerish it's there, i think there's a real um it's kind of like a pervasiveness of personality disorders and poor mental health that that runs through a lot of these conversations and yet you're not meant to say that right like it's unwell thinking a lot of the time and, and you know, a, a book that made uh, a good argument about all of this was Jonathan Haidt's um, and Greg Lukianoff's um, Coddling of the American Mind. They right. talk about, you know, uh, you know, people bring it up quite often in these sorts of conversations that you and I are having. But in America, you know, they, they look at like how the removal of conservative voices or people who are deplatformed because people have now equated words with violence and people are not allowed to say things that might upset you emotionally so you can have a safe space is, is actually like doing people's mental health a disservice because what actually makes us more resilient and more capable of dealing with uh, adverse experiences or adverse emotions is some degree of exposure therapy right mm. we can't just lock ourselves away in some sort of bubble and expect us to never experience thoughts that challenge us. That's just not life. And yet yeah. there is a whole, there's a whole movement to try and enforce speech codes, right? Now I'm not a free speech absolutist. I don't think you should promote hate speech. I don't think that, um, you know, threatening violence and, uh, and, and 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 character assassination campaigns should be permitted online, right? But you should be able to have like logical, rational disagreement of positions, ideologically, politically, philosophically. And yet I feel like there's a self-censorship or a censorship, like a socially imposed censorship. Yeah. Like, that that's starting to happen there's a real authoritarianism that's kind of creeping in from from both ends of this the 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 spectrum because it's not yeah. a left and it's you you know we say the left and the right but like historically we would think about those things in like economic terms right free trade yeah. versus like a free trade versus like a, an embedded market or you know state intervention in the economy or you know like this neoliberal model or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. hard on crime, soft on crime. No, like, these are the sorts of things that we've, I guess, our generation has historically conceptualized. But now it's like everything's very culture warish and identity politics, yeah. this. And and I don't think it's making the world any better. That's it, you know? No, I can't help but wonder as well whether, you know, given that I think most of us would agree that a, a person is not just in isolation making choices to be if you consider them right, wrong, good, bad, it's part of the psychosocial milieu, right? Which conditions a person to, to be a particular way. So I, I think it's very difficult for us to judge too harshly the individual when we're not taking into account the social context. Mm -hmm. Also within that, I, I wonder a lot about whether we actually create in some way these, uh, these these arguments this controversy you know all those types of things because we need it you know and so we we don't want someone to be in opposition to us but we actually do and yeah, we want to create the the bogeyman under the bed whenever whenever we can because that drives some emotion for us it drives energy and inertia and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah i think that's a really good um point that you raised cliff like i think a lot of people have got a spiritual emptiness or a lack of purpose in their life they don't have like strong offline communities they're, they're swimming in a sea of anomie and then mm. online they've got a tribe right of people who they can then perform to and if you're the person saying the right things on the internet and bringing down your ideological enemies then 
there's a degree of fulfillment in that. There's a, there's a degree of social validation in that. You, you, you get like reward chemicals popping off with your likes and your retweets and shares. It becomes addictive. Your behavior gets socially reinforced. And so you're right. Like if our environment rewards us for bad behavior, where is the disincentive, right? And so I think that's the thing. You know, we, we, we know that young kids who fall into uh, criminality often come from adverse socioeconomic backgrounds and histories of trauma. And if we really want to like help them change, we need to change the environment that they're, they're, they're living in, right? Well, I think it's the same with people's behavior on the internet. If people are, you know, defaming people and shaming people horrifically and telling lies about them and there's this performative outrage that gets people, you know, it's a lot of it's clout chasing, like you actually need to like push back on that. And I think that's starting to happen. I do start, I am starting to see more like sensible voices or moderate voices in this kind of people want to, people, I think some good people are seeing that the pendulum swung to like crazy, level crazy, <laughs> do you know? Yeah. And, and people are tired of it. And yeah, I still think we have a long way to, to go in that. So I think it's about like not engaging with outrage and learning to, why did that person, you know, just asking the question, why do you think that is better than you a fucking piece of shit, kill yourself? Yeah. Do, do you know, but that's how people perform yeah. online. And it's gross, man, because um, people start like whole online harassment campaigns against the people that they don't agree with on the internet. Or, yeah. you know, I, I interviewed for my, my intermittent podcast um, a woman called Dr. Christine Marie, who did a body of research for the American Psychological Association on media trauma. She keeps oh, yeah. a yeah, she she keeps a tally of people who've killed themselves based on online cancellation campaigns. Wow. Like, it's a real thing. Well, we, we know, obviously, from the evidence that social media is in, incredibly useful for health and mental health to a point. But it's, it's quite limited, you know? It's sort of, we're looking at probably two to three hours a day, probably, of, you know, on-screen time, engaging with other people and things like that. And past that, you reach a point of diminishing returns whereby it, it quickly becomes uh, unhealthful, if mm. you will. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all. I think one of our biggest issues is the, you know, the, the attack we almost receive every day from aggressive media, whether that be <laughs> clickbait, you know, highly evocative, emotional headlines and things and, and narratives and themes that we see in the media, but also obviously the interactions we have online. Yeah, uh, totally, dude. Like, you know, you're a nutritionist. Well, what are you, a dietitian? I don't know. Like, you're very smart. You got like a PhD in how to eat. Like, you know, like I got a PhD in how to eat. Exactly. That's what yeah. I <laughs> you know, if I filled my body with like, like high sugar, high fat, high salt food every day, it's going to poison me, right? And yet, we don't often pause and consider what we're consuming emotionally, Not only that, mentally. But when we expose ourselves to, you know, poor quality food, we're more likely to. Uh, consume poor quality media we're also more mm. likely to like sleep less effectively and that's also a result of the media we're consuming uh then those things play into eating a poor quality food you know overexposure to social media poor sleep all those types of things play in together to make us make f poorer food choices mm. so the whole you know health scenario is so interrelated and complex we, we can't remove one from the other and it's something I've been talking a lot about on other people's podcasts recently is that we, unfortunately, our health, the way we view health, I think is fundamentally flawed because it's always embedded in a socioeconomic system that I believe isn't working. Mm. So it's kind of like we're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Because <laughs> if, if everything is geared towards consumerism, materialism, greater production, progress in that respect, I don't think we can ever do a good job of taking care of people's health and happiness mm. i i agree with you man like it's i think it's I, yeah <laughs> well that's, you're doing that's it. why i do these things um no I, I i agree with you i think you know um as i've as you commented at the start of this conversation like as i've become i guess less uh what say am it. i saying here say it say it work say work 
<laughs> I think I think woke has become unfortunately like what like it's, it's right, right. It's, no, no, yeah. Is well, I also think it's like what like right wing boomers say to like discount sometimes yeah. valid comments. Woke snowflake. Yeah, woke. and I, I, this is the thing. Like, I broadly agree with like the political positions of the left. You know, yeah, like I, 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 just so people yeah, listening. Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. the it's the behavior and the extremity from the woke crowd that makes me. I look for another tribe or want to think more critically but you're right like that's the thing like I don't think like a neoliberal economic model has been good for us for the last 30 or 40 years we have more the last 10,000 years but <laughs> well I'm thinking from like Chicago school economics right yeah, I think Fre from Freeman style economics. yeah Freeman style economics right I think you know Ronald Reagan Margaret Thatcher Roger Douglas over here We've we've data, you know, more inequality, more homelessness, mm. more people with addiction, you know, more people working longer hours, unaffordable housing, um, cost of living going up and up and up. All this stuff is not bad for, for it's not good for us. It's bad for us, you know. Like there's so much that's negative that's fallen from it. Yes, there are some really powerful winners, but like there's an eroding middle class and a working class that's just got no hope uh, unless you have some sort of I don't know, some profound shifts, and I'm not sure what that looks like. But you're right, like... Burn it all down. You want to escape from that, and social media is a great way of escaping from that kind of yeah. existential dread. You know, yeah, junk yeah. food is a way of escaping from that existential dread. Finding that tribe online and performing for them is, is a way of escaping from that existential dread. But none of these things are productive. They're all destructive, you know? Yeah, so I agree with you. Yeah, we are rearranging. It's the same with like, here's another helpline for your mental health. It's like, it's like, here's another awareness raising campaign. Great, those are all great. We do need services. You do need people to talk to. You do need to raise awareness. But like, fundamentally, people need to not have to move like ten thousand miles away from the community to buy a house. Exactly. That's what needs to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, the, the what always baffles me, and I, I want to get back to. Um talking about the sort of start of your journey in a second, but what always baffles me is that I believe if you take an evidence-based approach, none of that makes sense anyway. Because for mm. example, if you want to be at your most productive, for most people, most of the time, that's around 30 hours a week while, mm. while preserving health and happiness, mm. right? So, and once you people work over about 50 hours a week, productivity falls off a cliff, not per hour on, in total. So mm. it doesn't make sense to push people to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week because they're actually less effective for you if you're an employer. But the other aspect of it is if we take a eudemonistic approach to our social economic structures, it seems very clear that past a certain point, accumulation of wealth and income has no effect on your happiness. So you'd have to ask yourself, well, what's most important for people? And I would say happiness. Like I might mm. be a simple reductionist, but I believe that most of us just want to pursue happiness, right? So if that's the case, why why do we need to have CEOs earning over 300 times what the average worker earns? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, and you're right, you know, I think it's like 70 or 80 grand, like after, after you sort of make that amount of money and your rent's paid or whatever, you, you don't get like exponentially happier. And I, I guess I suppose we have like a values crisis, right? Like we have normalized ostentatious consumption as a goal to achieve and so people try and do it yeah um how you change that i'm not entirely sure i mean at the same time i'd like to have some more money in my bank account <laughs> but, but but the point that you're making is 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 true because the happiest moments in my life haven't been shopping or haven't been moving to a nicer house it's actually been running around a city block in Thailand in yeah. 40 degree heat with my shirt off chatting like in pigeon Thai, right? Like it's been getting Some lost. Some of the happiest Mexico. moments of my life have been when you've taken your shirt off. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> I, try, I try and keep in shape, mate. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, like, um, yeah, it is. We need like experiences, you know, like, yeah. and that's what it comes back to. I think a lot of people aren't having experiences that make them fulfilled and happy and peaceful. And so the internet fills the void with horrific results. Yeah. 
And I guess the question is why, you know, why do you want to have more money in your bank account? I'm the same. I'd like to have more money in my bank account, but it's certainly not to buy things. It's to make sure that my family is secure. That me too. It's just a safety thing, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm having a baby. I have a stepson, you know, I have a partner. If I have a bad accident and I can't go to work, I want to make sure that they're all going to be okay. Exactly. I, I don't need a nicer car. Um, I don't. I honestly think if I had all the money in the world, I'd still keep my car because I love it. It's an old. Well, it's not. It's a a Suzuki Jimny. It's fucking great. I'm. I'm not. I'm. See, I'm not quite there with you because I. I I probably (laughs) like. If I had a heap of money, like an unlimited amount of money, you know, I'd open a gym, run social programs from it, but I'd also probably buy like a 2022 Audi. But. But I mean, yeah. I mean, and and we. I think we're all complicit to some degree in in some element of ostentatious wealth because someone who's in abject poverty looking at either of us would say you're killing it i know wealth. i know i know that's it that's the thing man like we live in one of the nicest cities in the nicest parts of the city like everything's great do you know what i mean like yeah. you have to actually stop and check that things are good man like because you'll lose so much of the present moment chasing more all the time if you if you don't if you don't have that perspective right exactly i was just talking to some mums like outside school about a little girl who's really anxious and they were like why do you why do you think you know this child's maybe seven six like super anxious all the time and they and i was like oh what's going on at home and it's apparently like a really nice affluent family but the mother's always like on her phone, always busy, always working, mm. like like always distracted parenting, and like maybe there's something in that, you know. I'm not unsure of like little children's drivers anxiety outside of like a more traumatic lens, like family violence or addiction. Yeah. You know, but I, I'm sure they're right in their their hypothesis that a mum who's always on the go and always kind of in fight or flight just through work stress probably does have some sort of um psycho negative psychological effect on yeah. a child's development right i'm, I'm not sure but it, I'm sure it, plays it into sounds true too. yeah it's like we know the you know the, the value of connection for reducing depression and anxiety mm. um, obviously your familial connections are most important especially early on but then i think it also precludes some other things like I, i'm very aware you know we've obviously got a little baby and i'm very aware of screen time mm. Mm. Um, and that's just purely because of all the research I've done into that for, you know, teaching purposes. I teach the students about that, uh, you know, like screen time, especially social media, aggressive media, things like that, but just screen time full stop will drive anxiety. Whereas mm. going for a walk in the, in the park or in the bush will massively reduce it. Mm. So where I'm sort of going with this is if you're constantly on your phone, the, the tendency is going to be, you're going to put your kid in front of a screen, right? Mm, that's nice. sort of losing the opportunity to maybe even just for that 20 minutes pick up your kid and go outside mm. like that that has a huge mitigating effect we see that with things like adhd uh autism spectrum disorder like the effect of just being outside in a green space is huge well do you know why more and more kids seem to be presenting with adhd personally i think it's it's a couple of things i think it well i think it's threefold i think it's there's an increased awareness so there's increased diagnosis mm. I think there is, um, I think we have a real crisis of um, nutrient insufficiency. I see it all the time and we're actually, I'm I'm involved in some research now on uh, a few COVID related things where we're seeing some interesting parallels with micronutrient insufficiency. And I think that plays a big role. You know, the work of Julia Rutledge and others who have sort of looked at um, micronutrients as really important for for mental health. Uh, And I also think that it's the, you know, the, the, the environment we live in, in which we're inundated with Stimulus. sort of artificial stimuli, yeah. Mm. Because we can see research for all those things, you know, the relaxing and antidepressant, anti-anxiety effect of being outside. Um, you know, the effects of exercise. And obviously, if you're doing exercise outside, you're kind of getting a double whammy. Um, obviously, the effects we know of related to nutrition and mental health. So this sort of goes back to, if we're looking at mental health, are we addressing it to your point by providing another helpline? You know, mm-hmm. surely it's got to be way broader than that. We've got to look at social inequality, wealth inequality, and we've got to look at the key fundamental aspects of human health. 
Mm. I think this all ties into, you know, the start of the conversation, you're like, what, why, did, why are you so disavowed or disillusioned with modern progressivism or whatever you want to call it? It's because often the conversations don't fixate on, like, how do you help people who have more money in their bank account who are in need of it? Right, like how how do you how do you raise benefit levels? How do you help people um, rise out of poverty? What are the what are the policy levers that you're pulling there? What are the what are the uh, grassroots initiatives that you're supporting yourself to uh, help people eat well? It's none of that shit. It's like trying to destroy someone's livelihood because ten years ago they made like a joke that for the era wasn't offensive but is today do, do you know what i mean like that shit just is such a waste of time and it you, fucks you me off time right? canceller right nah but you know that yeah. skit it's it's, nah, like, it's carl dunnigan did a skit it's called time canceller and it's basically about this um this dude who cancels people right he's like a time <laughs> traveler and he cancels people and he goes back and cancels abraham lincoln hilarious obviously according to the metric we have now he would be racist oh for sure but he was like for his time inordinately progressive like yeah. crazy progressive right and so that's I, great i need to see very, that it, it's very problematic I, uh, problematic <laughs> i've got a ticket that says problematic i know you do <laughs> i saw it on your insta um, i think it's incredibly problematic when we start to take things out of their temporal context dude it's fucking it's like this insane revisionism right it's like it's just it's just, i don't it hurts my brain like to try and articulate how nonsensical it is to judge people today by like yesterday for shit they did 10 years ago by today's standards. It's like, man, I used to shit my pants when I was a baby. Like, it's not like I do it now. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, we all say stupid stuff and do stupid stuff and are in a constant process of growth and evolution. That's what education yeah. and maturity do. And yet people seem to think that, oh, someone it's not like people have committed crimes or been horrifically abusive or whatever. It's like that people's thinking wasn't evolved as it is today a few years back and we're holding them to today's standards and yeah. somehow using it as proof that they're a bad person. And people are like, well, no one's ever really truly cancelled. But when you remove people's livelihoods and their social connections, when we uh, make them untouchable and make them social pariahs, it's like so hugely detrimental to their mental well-being. You know, I think yeah. Dave Chappelle explained it best when he talked about the suicide of his trans friend Daphne Dorman. It had me in tears, man. Yeah. Because that was such a profound example of a woman killing herself because the mob thought that she thought the wrong things and wasn't it, it interesting that he, he was practically cancelled because well, of he that. lost he lost the ability to distribute his film like i i would have loved to seen dave chappelle's film but a very very powerful minority of voices screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed that he's a bad person with hateful beliefs which is not at all what he was saying he was literally took from it at all for like he eulogized his trans friend for that entire special you could feel the palpable pain that his friend killed herself yeah and yet people are saying he's transphobic and it's like no he's not saying that he's he is you know this is happening a lot in the uk now and i don't want to get into it too much but there is a real um pushback against the the extremist trans narrative that that was that that has taken hold of the world right in the uk they're they're really like making legislative steps to say hey trans people deserve lives free of discrimination and harassment and abuse and shouldn't be uh diminished but at the same time like women who want sex only spaces aren't hateful for wanting that like that shouldn't be like a controversial argument yeah and yet it's become one and i and i and and the extremities of the online space where you do have actual bigots and transphobes and hateful people over here and then you have extreme 
social justice voices and allies over here, that's what fills the space. I think yeah. if you could sort of calm it down somewhat and uh, have like a more constructive discourse, then we might actually find like something that works for it, for for everyone. And yet everyone's in this zero-sum game, yeah. you know, like it's all or nothing as opposed to like, hey, let's find reasonable middle grounds that we can agree upon. That, that's actually an example that I wanted to bring up because I remember there were two conversations we had probably quite a few years ago now, which I suspected were, were partially instrumental in, in some of your shifts over the last few years, right? One was when you questioned, and you weren't saying anything definitive, you were basically questioning whether Kim Kardashian posing half nude in her bathroom mirror was actually a good example for, for women. And you, I know you got hammered by a lot of um, ultra-liberal feminists for that. Because, hey, she's a woman, she can do what she wants, how do you body shame her kind of thing. But I don't think that was your point. It wasn't my point. The, the other element was um, the, the very pro-trans argument that someone who was born a biological male who then transitions and is a transgender female should be allowed to compete in combat sports. And I think both of us agree that I don't believe that's safe. Like, it's all about the safety of the fighter, right? And if you've had someone who was born a biological male... Um, they are a transgender female and I don't deny that and they should have all the rights inherent that anyone would have and all the respect and love that anyone should be afforded, but I don't believe they should fight against someone who was born a woman. Well, or born female, I should say. I know, and that shouldn't be a hateful thing to say because people, this is it, like people have conflated sex and gender and those are very different yeah. things. Sex, yeah. are, sex is a tangible biological thing and gender is a, is, is a social thing, right? And if you have a mismatch of those things, I really feel for you, and I, I love you as a human being, but your internal subjective viewpoint of oneself doesn't change the, the physical reality of, of your body. And so if, as, if you want to become like a professional athlete and, and identify as female, well, it doesn't shift that your body's still bigger, stronger, and faster. And, and, and you know, I've mentioned the UK. The, the UK Sports Council came out in 2021, September, with, like, such a definitive amount of research. Like, it took them over 18 months. They talked to all the stakeholders from the LGBTQI play, LGBTQ plus community. They talked to sports scientists. It was led primarily by, like, female physicians and researchers. And the research said, objective research, non-ideological, said that you have to, you can't, you can't put inclusion over safety, right? Yeah. You have to choose one or the other. And how that looks is up to each individual's sporting body, right? But you can't have non-surgically transitioned trans women competing in physical sports and not expect women to get hurt. You just can't. And, and now we're after Leah Thomas, we're really starting to see this debate really explode. Like, you know, people like Megan Murphy, a Canadian uh, uh, author and social critic. Um, she's a writer for her website, Feminist Current. Like she's been saying this for a long time, right? And, um, you know, I, I've always been kind of hesitant to talk about it because I hate getting branded as a bigot and a transphobe because I'm not like I genuinely am not like I, I, I don't care how you want to dress or or um if you were being like if I saw some dudes hassling you in the street I'd go stand up for you you know like I, I don't want young people who are questioning their identity to to struggle with their mental health because they feel like they don't fit in I want to create a society where you can um be who you want to be i really do but at the same time i can't gaslight myself and say that a male body is exactly the same as a female body like that's just objectively not true and um you know even like a reduction in testosterone doesn't reduce your athletic advantages i'm not saying that elite women can't beat average men i know female kickboxers and MMA fighters who give me a good hiding, right? But across averages... I wouldn't fight Amanda Nunez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Amanda I outweigh Nunez. her by like 30 <laughs> kilos. Yeah, and, and 
you know, like, so, and, you know, it just, I really, I don't know the answer. I think that um, perhaps, you know, a new division that we could all help create would be, would be great. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know the answer to that because it does seem like such a, such a conflict of rights. But uh, yeah. we're seeing so many young women um, say, hey, I've lost out on my scholarship or I'm always going to be second place. Is that really moving photo of the, of the second, third and fourth people uh, at the NCAA swim meet where Leah Thomas got first place? Saying one of us would have been first, second and third had Leah not been able to compete. You know, Leah's not breaking the rules. The rules have been shifted to, um, I would argue, accommodate an ideological framework at the expense of biological reality. And yeah. and and I feel for Leah. I, it must be really hard to be Leah. It must be really hard to be Laurel Hubbard. And no one should make fun of their bodies or make fun of who they are or be cruel about them. But women who have always... All the implicit things that people do, like calling her by her former name and yeah all know, that sort of stuff that, like that, that's just it, it's just it's, mean. it's childish and mean and it goes back to why i disavow myself from like ultra leftist sort of online communities because it's about meanness i don't want to be anyone to be mean to fucking anyone yeah. like you shouldn't you know like people can call themselves whatever they want they can dress however they want they can but when but when women who have always been a marginalized section of society who put up with exponentially more violence and harassment, who fought so hard to be included in sport, who fought so hard to get the right to vote, to, to be represented in businesses and politics, are suddenly now being pushed out on, I would argue, a biological sort of ignoring biological reality and for ideological purposes, I feel like it's wrong. It's not a popular position to say there will be people who watch this and be like, fuck Richie Hardcore, he's a hateful fucking piece of shit. But I'm, I'm really not. I'm trying to, I don't know the answer to these things, but I think women should be allowed the right to sex-segregated spaces. <clears throat> you know, there's... Um, to say about well, that i mean right. it's 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 kind of i don't know whether zero-sum game is the right term for what i'm about to say but it it kind of is because you either agree that there are those sex segregated spaces mm. or you disagree with it entirely in which case everyone just competes together if that happened then we would not have representation of of women at in a lot of top level sports or we'd have very limited representation uh, it wouldn't be good for for women it wouldn't be aspirational it wouldn't be good for society and so i think we'd all agree it, it's an important thing and so, so there's got to be safety within that you know so, importance as well i mean this is the thing this is the other thing like i see online leftists saying like oh we should we should do all sport based on experience and skill level well a most sport <laughs> is a skill test in and of itself um where so that kind of like defeats the point and B, like, you'll literally see women getting killed. You will. Like, like in boxing, in MMA, in rugby, in NFL, women will get fucking killed. Like, they will get, like, permanently injured. They will get debilitated. In the name of what? In the name of, like, an ideological belief. Like, that's, that's fucking nuts. I think there's people who literally have no conception of what of, what, of the risks involved in sport, because they don't play sport. These are academic people, these are, these are activist-minded people who, who sport and the physical reality of it is very much um, removed from their, their personal experiences. Mm. But as someone who spent my whole life fighting people for sport and then training people to fight for sport, I talk with my female friends and they're like, yo, you know, this debate's a big one right now. What do you think? They're like, fuck no, I'll lose to 12-year-old boys. This is like, you know, these people I know who are in like medal contention at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games who have won world titles for Muay Thai and stuff. They don't put themselves out there because there will be people who watch this conversation with us now who will like hate me for saying this, who mm. will tar and feather me, who will... Who'll continue to say that I'm like a, a hate monger and a bigot? You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but Thanks, <laughs> I'm, but it's, I'm just tired of it, man. Like I know how hard it is to be successful in sport, right? Yeah. When you're going up against like, like versus like, imagine what it's like waking up every day and, and knowing that the chances of you winning are that much more diminished. Yeah. Because it's not like versus like anymore. People, people think that when we talk, this is the thing that I think people don't understand. When I think people think that when we're talking about trans women in sport, we're thinking about young people who grew up with gender dysphoria, who wanted to medically transition before puberty. Cause they're in a, cause then there is some degree of a difference, right? But people think people forget now. Fundamentally, I'm, I'm actually opposed to. Yeah. Okay. What to medical transition before adulthood? Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole other conversation. And, and I'm, I'm not sure, and I don't want to get into it because it's probably too, too deep. Um, but from what I've seen, there, there's just a risk. I think if there's any risk that someone who is below sort of an age of consent that they will, um, I've seen yeah, some yeah, research. Yeah. Fuck, that, there's, this, there's this whole wave of deep transition. Is we've reading that shit? Yeah, and there's a lot of. I don't know how big it is, whether it's a large minority or whatever of people who have transitioned pre-puberty and have subsequently realized they were they were just gay dude and that, Kira, that worries me for kids you know yeah in england Kara bell wrote this really moving piece Kara bell um medically transitioned as a you know below the age you can uh at 20 i think i think she had right. like but she has sued the gids the gender identity department or regardless like the gender clinic tavistock in the uk for failing to, I guess, put her own best interests at heart as a vulnerable young person who'd come from a really um, traumatic background, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's like quite a landmark case because she won and then they appealed and now it's like back in the courts. But there are, because of ideological pressure, medical professionals, it is argued, are not listening to... Um, say a parent's concerns about their child, they are following an affirmative only approach to care. Yeah. So when a child turns up who spent a lot of time on YouTube or Instagram and says, I'm, I'm gender dysphoric, blah, 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 blah. I need to transition. Doctors say, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm dumbing it down as opposed to looking at like, and this is what Kira says. It's not, I'm, it's not a white man saying this. I'm recounting a young woman of colors detransition story. She said, I had all this other stuff going on. No one explored my comorbidities. Yeah, no one, yeah. no one explored my lesbianism. No one explored my sexuality. No one told me that it was anything other gender, other than gender dysphoria. Yeah, and, and and we st these because this has ha been happening for so long now, we're starting to hear these stories of detransitioners, and um, fuck, I don't know the answer to it, man. It's not, and I people are like, well, why the fuck do you care, straight cis white guy? Well, academically, I study gender. I'm writing a thesis on masculinity. I have a have an interest in masculinity. I have an interest in gender roles. As an you, activist, you also I have kids. I also have kids. Thank you for saying that. Like, my kids go to school. Our schools are increasingly being captured by, like, rather radical ideologies in America. And, and, and what happens in America tends to filter down here. I want kids to learn about sexual diversity. I want kids Absolutely. to know that it's okay to be gay. I really do. I was on TV. Like, I was on national television as part of a campaign for gay marriage. Like I've put my hand up for any sort of fucking progressive cause publicly that I could, I could not because I want to get fucking a back, you know, high five because I really don't want people to be discriminated against before who yeah. they love and who they have sex with and who they are. But at the same time, we need to be able to have like discussions about young people, like met, going through irreversible medical, yeah. uh, uh, procedures, you know, Again, and, these aren't and popular. That's my only concern. That's it. Like Abigail Schreier wrote the book Irreversible Damage, and she's a journalist, mm. and, and and she wrote about like this four thousand four hundred percent increase in young women who are now 
trans identifying or have non-binary identities and looked quite deeply at why the explosion. Like, yeah, I'm sure there are, with the new environment that we live in, trans people who are like, oh, I can finally be myself. That's wonderful. I'm so happy about that. I really am, Cliff. But there is also the argument about social contagion and rapid onset gender dysphoria that happens much later in life and is outside the historical presentation of of gender dysphoria and now there's this whole social transition that's happening where you don't even need to get a psychological evaluation or a medical evaluation and you can just identify as the opposite sex or the opposite gender and you suddenly are and that's where we're having these arguments about well should trans women who have never had any sort of diagnoses be allowed in rape crisis centers, female prisons, and sports. These are very difficult conversations to have. Mm. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of debate back and forth on either side of them. And this is where it kind of comes back to the side of this conversation. Because social media has become so extreme, and, and, and extremists on either end of the polarity dominate the spaces, it's really hard to find, like, answers because just yeah. having the conversation that you and I are having now makes it fucking politically, personally, professionally risky. Like, I'm like, I'm going to get off this and I'm like, fuck, I've just shot myself in the face. I'm, I'm thinking that constantly. Yeah. But the, the reality is, I, I think you're, you're bang on, and I know you're, you're short of time today, so we, we might have to carry this discussion on later. I, I, I think from here, so this, this is where I get fucked up. I, from here, I, my next meeting is I, every week I train women who have come out of prison or going to prison and are, methamphetamine, are in methamphetamine rehabilitation, right? Yeah. Like, every day I'm working with people like that. Yeah. And I'll ask them, what do you feel about like trans women in prisons? And I get these offline narratives told to me. You know, or like what, what was growing up like for you? Because on the right wing, you have people like, people who do drugs are just bad people. People who do yeah. crime are just bad people. Without listening to the narratives and voices of people who actually grew up in the worst fucking environments, which led to them. You know, I, I trained some people. I have, I know this one woman, she had two former partners kill themselves and also lost a family member to homicide, which led to her eventual methamphetamine addiction and then criminal undertakings to to um, sustain that habit and not once did the system offer like grief counseling you know I mean I, I think you're you know you're obviously in the trenches doing you know social work um, constantly and I think people need to take some value out of that I mean I, I did want to say that for anyone listening I, I don't have any answers really and I don't I'm know. not yeah I'm, I'm not you know purporting to I'm just uh, at this point in my life what I really am as a concerned parent and I just want to make sure we do the best by our little guy um, you know we've raised him in what we considered a pretty um, sort of I guess gender non-normative way what, whatever he yeah. wants to do he will do if he wants to you know I was kicked out of school for wearing a skirt for God's sake totally um, and and I, I just did those types of things the trappings of gender and sexuality it, to, to me is a a kaleidoscope that should, should just be appreciated and celebrated and so I, for me I, it doesn't I agree with you man like if my son grows up to be gay or 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 trans identify like great like i'll love you and support you and protect you and guide you uh but if you want to compete in NFL against women, I might have a conversation with you like, hey, bro, you're six from five, man. And you're a big boy. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You shouldn't be stomping over these shorties, man. Like, that's not what's up. And that's you where theory re meets reality. That, that's where theory meets reality, bro. And, and, and that's it. Yeah, you know, I really struggle to understand how people can just not understand that. Yeah. Hey, so, bro, we're going to have to continue this conversation again because we haven't even got on to russia and ukraine um, <laughs> anti-mandate protests trumpism the, the wuda q pipeline or the will smith slap we've covered none of that stuff so <laughs> we'll have to do that again soon anytime hey it was nice to talk with you um i'm sure i'll get cancelled by um 
for this. So thank you for the uh, oh, the like, likewise. <laughs> I'm really I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> All right, brother, you're the man. Thanks, nice brother. to talk with you, Cliff. You take care. Thanks, bro. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cliff Dogs Podcasts. Subscribe to the cast at your favorite podcast channel. Check out the articles and member-only content at cliffharvey.com. And if you're interested in studying to become a registered health coach, accredited sports nutritionist, or registered clinical nutritionist, head over to the Holistic Performance Institute at holisticperformance.institute.